episode 26, a podcast that looks at tech under the hood. I'm your host, Owen, and joining me, as always, is your co-host, John. How are you today, John? I'm excellent. Last week, I realized I just sounded very drunk in the intro. That's what, yeah. Really? I listened to it again. I was like, wow, something's up. I mean, it was, but usually that. I'm good at not sounding. <laughs> How are you, John? I'm good. I don't think any, no one's ever been like, okay, Owen seems drunk during the podcast. That's how good so I am. I think we're, I think, I think not, you're clear. Not that I drank. I you're not clear. that I drank at all. <laughs> Owen, <laughs> Owen, okay. <laughs> Just to give you a piece of background on Owen's hilariousness, I basically book off the mornings that we have the podcast. <laughs> although, although I am, I must say equally as we're bad terrible. for our scheduling is terrible rescheduling. Yeah, it really but, sucks. But it, usually when I say that I'm <laughs> going to be at the podcast time at the time there, that we there. say we're going to be there, I'm there. Owen is 30 minutes late without fail. No, it go. He goes, hey, let's actually do it at this other time <laughs> a little bit more in the future. Then he'll text you like 10 minutes after that time and say, oh, actually, 10 more minutes. I'm almost home. Then he'll yeah, text you I'm on my bike. and be later, like, oh, I'm almost <laughs> home. Just Yeah, but I, I don't mind it. I <laughs> it's because like it, I've been drinking usually. At least it's like reliably unreliable. Um, I was actually thinking that <laughs> for people who have just kind of people who have just sort of started tuning in, maybe they would want to yeah. know really quickly how we know each other and what our relationship to each other is. Because I think we've yeah. explained it once before, but I don't think we're going to take it. How do we know each other? I think, I the think internet, we just John. met online on Twitter. Yeah. And then, it's like online dating, but Twitter. Yeah. yeah. And then you were... <laughs> we, we met for the first time at the next web yeah, conference yeah, yeah. in New York. So it would have been two years ago this Yeah. And we, and we hung month. out and it was awesome. It was fun. So... Yeah. Then we kept interneting and we made a podcast. That's pretty much it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The ocean separates us, but now we have a call every week and an excuse for it. <laughs> and we're also just good friends. Yeah, it's so great. We talk a lot during the week as I well. message John on iMessage, Slack, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram. Where else? Anywhere else? Peach. Mm. And we have our Trello board. Oh, and the tra- yeah, so we're very, it's very intimate. So that's, that's how we know each other. Do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about the internet? We should talk about the internet. I feel like we should have a little theme song for that. Man, it's been a big week. The internet is broken. It is. Can you tell people and me how it's broken? <laughs> it was a big day. Well, yeah. So we've had this kind of recurring theme over the last little while about. I think we explained it last week. DDoS. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, this distributed denial of service attacks and that they are the mechanism that are used by internet losers to take <laughs> off internet resources. Script kiddies. <laughs> yep. So this is just becoming like pretty crazy town for the internet. Yeah, it's um, ridiculous. This morning, um, this morning, SoundCloud was down. GitHub was down. Twitter. Um, Twitter was down. All because of one company. 
Heroku is down because of a company called DynDNS, which provides the domain name service, so the resolution service. So just a reminder, when you go to www.whatever, it has to basically convert that into it's like a phone book. Well, an IP address or a phone number. Yep. And then it says, here's where the here's where the website is. Go to this server. And then when you send the request to the server, it'll pick up the web page and shoot it back over uh, to you in your house. And so most companies don't manage that part of the application themselves because it's incredibly and expensive. In fact, yeah, super hard. Most companies these days don't manage much outside of the actual yeah. application. The servers are typically managed by someone else. The network's managed by someone else. Uh, and then the application is usually managed by the company. So Etsy, Twitter, SoundCloud, Spotify, Heroku, and kind of scarily PagerDuty, which kind of freaked me out. So PagerDuty is the company that all of the technologists use to know when their servers are down. So mm -hmm, if you mm -hmm. take out PagerDuty and then you also take out all the websites, all the site reliability engineers that are responsible for maintaining those websites right. would get their pages through PagerDuty. <laughs> so sites would just be down for even longer, which is crazy. Um, so someone attacked Dyn, a uh, huge d d uh, DD DDoS attack that took all those properties offline. Um and so it looks like this is getting worse, I guess. It's terrible. Uh, it's really regular it, now. It's more and more people are saying, so I, I texted the uh, my buddy Ben who runs DigitalOcean this morning and asked him if they had noticed a ramp up in attacks and he said they had. So I was reading one blog post, which you can put in the show notes that said the security researcher um, said that he's relatively sure that it's like a state-sponsored thing. Yeah, I'm not surprised. And an engineer from a very large, reputable DDoS mitigation company, and I had lunch last weekend, and she said that um, she thought that sometime next year uh, there was a possibility that someone would try and make dark so black out the american the american internet for an extended period of time well that's um, the interesting, interesting thing about it is like over the last few years a lot of denial of service attacks focused on individual websites right like it was always you know the u.s government website or facebook they'd be trying to take down but now i think what seems to be happening is attackers are starting to look into the actual infrastructure of the internet and the scary thing is if you look at that kind of closely it's actually not like it's, it's not, not very good. good. And, you know, I think this Dyn DNS thing is a great example of how the DNS providers and, you know, the like actual the lower level providers aren't prepared for this kind of thing. They don't they never they never really saw this kind of attack. Why would you attack a DNS provider? It's incredibly boring unless you want to break the entire internet. <laughs> and that's that's where it gets scary, right? Because over the last couple of weeks we've seen this the last one was the one on Krebs on security, which took down Akamai until they ditched him. And that's, you know, that's another big thing. Like atta attacking a CDN almost guarantees that you'll hurt more than just the website that you're trying to attack. And that's what's bad. So for those that don't know, a CDN is a content delivery network. So it's a one company that is set up to have a very large global distribution of servers that you put your content that needs yeah. to be geo uh dis disperse which 
means effectively you can your content it's everywhere will be closer to your cost it will be clo- it's yeah, really, closer it's really it's really key in countries easier. like new zealand so in new zealand the internet's not super fast but because cdm providers have a node in new zealand anytime you look up like i don't know uh any cached website like youtube for example caches a huge amount of content on these cdns that means like when you look it up instead of going overseas to fetch that data it's local so you feel like you're getting the full experience when you're really not like it's coming locally there's no difference of course but you don't have to use the ocean unless the unless the cdn cache is out of date yes then there's no difference yeah. yeah exactly so it's it's a big deal i think that i think that hackers and state sponsors are starting to realize that you can really target the fundamental fundamental nodes of the internet and that's how you can break shit and there's you know people are like oh why would you want to take the internet down oh there's a hundred reasons to do it right i mean it's a compelling target. percent of U.S. commerce happens on the internet these days. Every every country's commerce happens on the internet. There's nothing you can do without it now. I think banking, everything. So it's a it's a it's a juicy target, and it's starting to be <clears throat> even more and more focus is kind of coming to it. And I think it's going to get worse. And now that I think the I remember this thing what was called the Cold War. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like the internet Cold War. Well, and the other thing yeah, is, it, it is. gets worse now because. In a lot of people's heads, denial of service attacks were computers that got compromised and had a virus or whatever, or they use virtual machines to attack stuff. But now your thermostat and your IP camera and your, you know, Philips Hue lights can also participate in this. They're all computers with internet connections. They can push out a certain amount of data. If you can get 100 million of those, that's even more interesting than just 100 million computers, I think. Yeah, and the the... The problem is that often you would see a lot of machines from um, a, some other country. So, like if if you were attacking something in the UK, there might be machines from Ukraine involved. There might be machines, and these are just machines that have been infected via malware or whatever, and then um, and then are being used for this nefarious means. Mm-hmm. Uh, once we see more of these mini internal machines, uh, it within the country. So, so toasters and (laughs) and thermostats and stuff like that, you're just having, you're having a a higher concentration of literal compute, like, which is what is required really to get this stuff to scale. So that's, I mean, certainly IOT is interesting. I thought there was something. So there's two things that are sort of cool that might, if someone smart, like puts this together in the right way, uh, help alleviate some of this right. stuff. Vodafone group, um, are working on a low level, phone kind of grid thing i mean okay. it's kind of touching the so when they said low level when they well they call it a narrow band mm-hmm, network mm-hmm. so and and they could put the internet of things devices can connect to that which is actually right. a really good idea because if you put all the iot devices on their own very low bandwidth um network you would solve a whole ton of these problems like if you could just mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. All the IoT devices had to go on this like low bandwidth, like because you don't need a lot of bandwidth. It can be narrow band, low bandwidth. Yeah, your thermostat uh, doesn't you know, need to be for, doing for, much. No, so that's not a bad way to do it. And then there's another thing that the uh, I think it's like 
Intel's working on a really good version of this. It's called SD-WAN, so Software Defined Wide Area Network. Um, and that kind of can create local internets, software defined local internet, software defined internets within the internet effectively Right. from how it was explained to me. So it's kind of a software defined routing layer, mm-hmm. which gives you a lot more control over the network. Like it brings you, so we, it, we can maybe hope that the software defined characteristics of the physical internet mm. could get to an abstract enough point that it would give you enough granularity control to really write software that could deal with this shit. The other thing is putting AI on the edges of the internet, right, right, and then having so it's like it deal segregating with it, it up uh, the traffic. You could you could train it to look. Yeah, if you could like use AI to train, uh, like traffic management, a, a set to look like what DDoS looks like mm-hmm. and see it as it's starting. That actually to makes sense from different countries. You could turn it off. You really could quickly. throttle it at least if it looks suspicious, yeah. and then you could turn it up or down. Super interesting. And that's probably, we need smart people to think about this stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Super fun. Let's talk about Super your fun. next favorite topic. Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel, the dick. Did you just call Peter Thiel a dick? He's a, he is a bit of a dick lately. Bit of a dick. Is it, is dick. it wrong? <laughs> is it? Is it a bit of a dick? Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> well, That was on the fence. I think I'm going to like, well, yeah, I don't know. I've got, I got all the feels about this subject, but I think, well, okay. So let's just explain what happened, please. Well, which thing? Well, DDH and then, uh, yeah. So did you see the DDH? Yeah, so the creative okay. rails called for his resi- resignation, basically DHH, sorry. on Twitter yeah, D- publicly was like, how can you support this guy who supports Trump? Who was basically saying, you know, with his money that, he supports everything Trump says. And then he tweeted at Paul Graham, like, how can you support Paul Graham is the creator of Y Combinator, one of like the biggest startup accelerators, I guess. Is it accelerator? I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Okay, cool. I wasn't sure if it was the right term. Anyway, Paul Graham was like, yeah, but like, you know, he doesn't really uh, endorse everything that like he says, just some of it. And, And then DHH was basically like, this is paraphrasing the whole conversation. You really should read it. It's fascinating. DHH was like, well, he's supporting him with $1.5 million, so it really says a lot. And then Paul Graham blocked him. <laughs> the creative rails was blocked mm. by the creator of a huge accelerator. So that's how much I know, but it was a big drama. You should read the thread. It's kind of awful. And I tend to agree with the DHH. What's his actual name? I don't, I don't remember. But I, I tend know. to agree it's with him long. that if you vote with $1.5 million, it's a lot of money and you're kind of endorsing everything they say. If you use that power, my two cents done. He is supposed to be giving a talk uh, in Washington, October 31st to address the election right. in Washington, D.C. I hope he just comes out and says, I'm running as a third candidate. But he won't like, because he likes Trump. It's just some like he lashes out. I don't know. Like we don't know him, so we can't say. But and it's true. All of the VCs that he's associated with and all these famous people really go to bat for him but it's still pretty shameful like he doesn't come out and defend himself at all he just it seems like he likes trolling that's kind of my my perception of it a little bit as he's 
he could defend himself, but he just refuses to. I think it's interesting that Gizmodo published a piece that says what, Sam, uh, Sam Altman should re- resign from Y Culminator. L- little. Yeah, I was just looking at this now. What do you? Little, what is the the argument? Uh, basically that for him to come out and write a blog post on the Y Culminator blog that says that Donald Trump is a racist isolationist. Uh, and represents the most uh, uh, hugest threat to America and a real threat to the safety of women and mi- and minorities and and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. immigrants, which is well, you that's know, the real issue. I think is it's, not, it's far more sensitive. And then to say, but I'm not going to disassociate our organization from the person that actively supports that is there's just for some people a very strange uh kind of i guess almost oxymoron there of like well Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if this is the most dangerous threat to women and minorities and immigrants and america and all these things you're literally working with the person that's funding that yeah you're you're endorsing everything about it right and that's that's the problem I have is I think they can't see past that. But I don't want to get into the election too well, much. They, I'm sure they can. I just think that's a very bizarro place to sit for I, him. Like I'm this sure. election like, honestly couldn't get weirder <laughs> at this point. It's so weird. But I think I think we should just yeah stay out of that. <laughs> I think I think it's really messed up. I think that at the end of the day, Teal should either at least come out and say why. Or these, you know, even the even the Y Combinators and the other startup things should be saying that they don't agree with his actions. Not necessarily that they don't agree with him, but I don't think that they can idly stand by and let it happen. Facebook is going to crazy lengths to try and justify the fact that they're kind of okay with what's happening. I don't, it just doesn't seem right. Yeah, people get pissed off at us when we talk about politics too much, so, but... Yeah, this is not, not a politics podcast, but we just talked about like it a it. little bit. So, self-driving cars. <laughs> hey, guess what? All the oh, websites yeah? are down again. Real-time news. Yeah, try go to Twitter. Cannot resolve Twitter. Twitter is down from both ends. Nice. Definitely down. Self-driving cars. Oh, oop, oop, oop. Managed to get... I just got Twitter pulled off as a local CDN somewhere around here, but it's loading so slow. Okay. Uh, self-driving cars. Big news of the week is Elon Musk says that all of his Teslas come pre-packaged with the hardware for them to go chill on their own in the real world without a single piece of meat blob in the four walls. True. Wait, wait, wait. Humans don't need to sit (laughs) in cars. If they are Teslas, they can drive on their own. That's true. They don't need to be sitting in there. And every Tesla comes like that. Yeah. They do have to be sitting in there because the law says so, but they don't actually need to be sitting in there. But it's really interesting. So every Tesla that rolls off the factory floor now is equipped with self-driving equipment, right? Every single Tesla. And but you still have to buy it. It's going to be pretty sick when all the Teslas also know where all the other Teslas are and all the self-driving On the Tesla network. The yeah. Then... So... You've got some crazy. You've got like the car network. It's like gonna be dope. I'm I'm stoked. It is. It's really cool. 
I think there's some really interesting implications. So first of all, the I think the coolest thing out of all of this is Tesla is going about it a super different way, right? Like Google has what, 100 self-driving cars out on the road, basically 24-7 collecting data. Tesla, like overnight, is adding the equipment to every car it makes. So by probably within a year, they'll have five to 10,000 of these things on the road collecting data 24, well, every moment they're driving. They're literally enlisting their users to do the data collection for them. That's what you really need for a reliable self-driving car, right? You need to have the data so that the car is able to drive itself. Tesla's doing it now 24-7 with its users not even knowing. It's freaking genius. On the flip side, so uh, actually on that topic, I, I read somewhere that basically what Google would take half a year, a year to do, Tesla can do in a week now because of this. That's, that, like, that is the, the volumetric difference of what it means for kind of the data side of self-driving cars. On the so flip tell, side, Tesla's doing some... Hmm? Talk about the interesting thing that's included in the terms of service now. Yeah, so that was the other thing. So I feel like that super excites me because it actually accelerates the process a lot faster. On the flip side, Tesla now has a term and condition that says you can't use your self-driving car for revenue gathering purposes, i.e. Uber or Lyft, which is crazy. It's a car with no. DRM. You're not even buying a the car, car anymore. You're like renting. You're, the, you're, you're just buying like, a car and renting the software. You're borrowing it. Yeah, you got to agree to the terms and conditions and that's it. Uh, it's Look, I, I think Tesla is well within its rights to an extent to do this, but also they don't own the car anymore after it's in my possession. So it's not, I think it's not so much that Tesla can prohibit people from doing it it's that they won't provide an api like you said to me yesterday like you couldn't programmatically do uber without an api right and tesla will only have its own it sounds like tesla is going to open its own self-driving car service which makes sense right if anyone from works from tesla and wants to talk to me about integrating tesla with the city (laughs) john at stay.co I'm down. This is not an ad. It's no, not an ad. But that's I, like I think it's that's just a great John way to talking do it. about Teslas. No, like seriously, yeah, it's, I think it's really cool. But so yeah, next year they're launching this thing called the Tesla Network, which sounds like it's going to be self-driving cars. But it also could be, I theorize, it could be a different mode of owning a car as well. Like the Tesla Network might have fifty thousand cars that are owned by Tesla in it that you can just borrow at any time, and it comes to you. I would rent. That's I would rent a Tesla. Legit. I would buy a Tesla membership. Yeah, monthly fee. Get as many Tesla rides as you want. Boom. Tesla owns the market. It's interesting times. So the the question is: Does this compress the timeline for self driving cars or not? I really vehemently believe everything is getting faster and moving faster than people think it is. I think people need to like. I mean, I well, could be it is. wrong. It's so, this but is like, with this I'm Tesla thing, 5,000 yeah. self-driving cars will be on the road by six months from now. But you just don't know it. And then if AI gets itself to scale next year, we'll use it to make things be- better and faster. When you can have, instead of having 50 business analysts working on your business from nine to five, you'll have 500,000 VMs running with AI that will be working on your business 24 hours. And so... Like everything is going to get faster and faster and faster and faster and faster and faster yeah. and faster. But the the thing that really bothers me, I have to add this in, and as I was reading comments, I shouldn't have done it, is a lot of people perceive self-driving cars as replacing mass transit. And I don't think that's the case. 
a self-driving car isn't it's augmentation yeah it doesn't fix public transport it solves the last mile problem with public transport so you know like the last mile is like the bus might go near your house but it's still far enough that walking isn't convenient or whatever i really that's that's where it's really nice i'm not gonna plug my company but if you go read my blog i've written about this (laughs) i really have written about this a bunch like i think that's super true like if the city provides some basic infrastructure and some apis that you can tie into then you can come in with your self-driving cars or whatever and you can integrate into the city and you can augment against mass transit systems and mass transit systems Mm -hmm, don't have mm -hmm. to be subways and stuff like that they can be maybe not even like like just little autonomous buses there's they're already rolling around in parts of europe and singapore and stuff like that um and you're talking about slack and it's disturbing my thought uh and and they don't even have to be on super fixed routes. Like they can go sort of where the people are. They don't, you know, maybe they'll come on some specific route during a specific course of the day, but then maybe like they'll go to another place in a different part of the day. And also they'll mystically be 15 Ubers waiting there because they know that there are 15 people on that bus that want to transfer to Uber and do it all on a right. single fare. Like that's, yeah, exactly. that's really easy to do now. Yeah. Except nobody's connecting the dots. No, it you, it me. <laughs> so, Sorry, and I, I if, write in if you think I talk like I don't want to. I don't think you do. Okay, I don't okay. think you do. Okay, okay, that's my two cents. Thank I, you. I, I allow it. I am the podcast master. <laughs> you are. It's so, your podcast. Look, you put all the topics in this week, so it's uh, it's over to you, John. What about the news newspaper industry's well, colossal mistake? Tell me more. Wanted, I really wanted you to talk about this because this is your (laughs) this is your world like you know so much about this way more than i do but um basically politico.com and i'm put the link in the show notes uh published an article october 17th um that was based on some uh a research paper uh done out of the university of texas uh it was published in the journalism practices uh journal i guess and it's basically a um, a study of the shifts in the consumption of, of media and stuff like that uh, over the last while. And basically the study says that the biggest mistake that the news industry did was shift to digital. Really? So what, it should have stalled? Financial performance of online publications is underwhelming. Uh, Well, yeah, absolutely. So they should have held out is what they're saying, basically. They should have made newspapers better. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense, actually, because the thing was, by making everything free, available online and racing to the bottom, they basically did it to themselves, right? Mm Mm-hmm. They literally cannibalized their own businesses and subjected themselves to clickbait. Anyway. That's the thing. Like fundamentally, online publishing, I'm unprofitable. Please name one company that's making a shitload of money other than Vice <laughs> that's doing like well. I can't think of any. Pretty good a hundred people writing into me now. But <laughs> Well, the newspaper industry Everybody should is bankrolled. probably start looking at how they can deliver like the first VR news thing where I can like slip on my VR and have like 
you know, New, New York Times does doing some interesting work. Good. You should check it out. We need to get VR, John. That's what we need. Anybody listening, send us some VR. I'm just kidding. Yep. I'll take any VR. <laughs> but well, I'm, I have a I'm also lens not. upstairs, so. Oh, yeah, yeah. Humble brag. Hashtag humble, humble brag. So, is hacking whistleblowing or not? <laughs> <laughs> this is an interesting topic. I love these topics because this is the first week that I didn't make all the topics. He, yeah, he did. Like, you made all of them this week. <laughs> I did. Okay, well, okay. This stems from um, an article I read that was basically like we keep talking about all of these like WikiLeaks things and hacks and stuff like that in the mm-hmm, context mm-hmm. context of whistleblowing but whistleblowing is like when you're pointing to something that's like illegal i guess that's happening right right um or drastically not in the public good or whatever which i guess you can debate the public good angle of some of this stuff recently but um I thought that was an interesting article, just that, you know, they basically, mm-hmm. I didn't put it in the show notes, but they were basically like, you know, hacking insert into servers and just releasing embarrassing things is not whistleblowing. Yeah. It's not like, it's just Noble. straight up, you know, hacking. It's like straight up illegal. Um, and actually I'm surprised, but yeah. Well, what's the difference between hacking? So this is the, I guess this is the fundamental question is, if you work somewhere and you whistleblow, that's a different equation from breaking in somewhere and whistleblowing, correct? Yeah. Yep, definitely. I mean, that's a pretty it's a pretty fine line. I mean, it's almost in the same vein of like piracy a little bit. Like but breaking in somewhere is like getting access to something you weren't even authorized to access on the suspicion that something might have been happening. Whereas whistle the definition of whistleblowing is knowing something's happening and calling it out because you knew it was illegal basically so i think edward snowden is a whistleblower yeah i agree he is a, he is a whistleblower absolutely and a and a and i would say that he, he probably there. should be pardoned oh absolutely but that's like a whole nother thing that's probably never going to happen right almost certainly not like no president's going to want to do that because it's not super sexy for them <laughs> but it's the right thing to do it's the right thing to do but when does the right thing to do happen I don't know. Okay. So just I'll we'll put the article in the show notes. I thought that was an interesting thing to Yeah, talk super about. interesting thing. Now, what is this new Nintendo console? Did you watch that console trailer? I, I know you don't care about consumer tech that much. I really you don't watch care it? about consumer tech that much, but I did watch Okay. I I have a I have like a like an old school nostalgia for Nintendo consoles, so I try and keep up with yeah, them. Yeah, Nintendo, they know what's up. Here's the thing. Okay, look, I am not a Nintendo guy, but Nintendo Nintendo's kind of on its last legs. They're losing a shitload of money every quarter at the moment because, well, so the Wii was a huge hit, right? Like the Wii outsold every other console at the time. And then the Wii U came along and it was like this pathetic attempt at not even competing. Now the Wii, what's this thing called? The Nintendo Switch. It's not a Wii. It's a Nintendo Switch. It's basically Nintendo's first foray into making a tablet that's also a gaming console it's super cool i'm sure everybody who's listening probably watched this trailer but i'll put it in the show notes anyway because it's interesting it's basically if you've seen a nintendo ds it's a console you can use on the go but this thing is also able to be docked into a tv it has the graphics performance of a normal console ish but you can use it on the go as well so 
you kind of use it as a handheld, but then you get home and you just put it in this dock thing and you can use it on your TV immediately. The, the controllers dismount from the, the unit itself so you can keep playing. That's actually pretty compelling. In a world where, like, you know, iPads exist, that's where I start to have a weird kind of thing about it. I'm like, do I want to carry another tablet? I don't really understand this. I have a Kindle and an iPad in my bag. Do I need this thing? Probably not. But Nintendo's made it, like, the fact that you can take your console with you and play, like, all of your games and have everything synced up, that's pretty cool. But I'm still not, like, super bullish on Nintendo. They use cartridges! Like, what the hell? And this thing, it comes out in 2017. Cartridges! Cartridges are cool. Super cool and completely pointless. Um, I get get why, but I also don't like the idea of carrying around 10 cartridges with me to play my games. You can't save them to the device. Like, that sucks. Fair. I'm a console... Like, I I only play on console because I'm super lazy. TLDR of me is I don't like doing work for my computing. So on the Xbox, I'll play. I'll pay a little bit more money so I don't have to do the disc thing. Like I don't want to put a disc in the drive when I want to play the game. I just want to open it up or download it or whatever. And that's I don't like the idea of that. But a portable gaming console sounds pretty cool, and it seems like people are really excited about it. So Nintendo might actually come back from the dead. But what if Apple just bought Nintendo? That'd be fun. You'd get instant. Like, you'd get instant um, access get to the, the gaming market. Yeah. Yeah, they get all the IP. There's millions of iPads out there. The only thing Nintendo would really need to do is make accessories. It's not their thing, though. They're such a platform. Yeah, but they're such a platform company. It's just not their yeah, thing. Yeah, but the thing is, they're not doing it right. Like, if they can't pull this tablet oh, off, and that's my that concern, Tim? is like, hire Tim Owen. Cook. Yep. Hire me. Hey, Tim at Apple.com. Hire me. I don't know. Now, my concern is this becomes like a the equivalent of a shitty Android tablet. And it doesn't do much else. Nintendo's never been good at internet stuff. It's never been super good at syncing or offline or social or anything like that. And that's, you know, we're in, by the time it comes out, it'll be 2017. They missed the holiday season. It's not a good sign. What's your favorite so, beer? What's my favorite beer? Anything that's an IPA. Really? <laughs> yeah. I love IPAs, man. Give me the hops. What <laughs> about you? Tecate. Tecate? What is it? Tecate. It's my favorite beer. Mexican. Wait, is that the one that was in your fridge when I stayed at your house? Yeah, the red and black and silver one? Yeah. Yeah, it's good Mexican beer. beer. Oh, it's so good. Um, okay. I'm going back to New York soon, so we've got to drink more of that. So, one one thing I want to say about the show notes, because I got a message about the show notes this week that somebody wished they were more comprehensible. Com- com- comprehensive? I don't have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want to say, like, I, we really enjoy doing this, and it's super fun, but we don't make any money right now and we just hang out and so i just kind of bang out the show notes i put the links in there and like that's it um so what you see is what you get and one day maybe we'll like transcribe it and make it super nice and amazing but right now we're like this is just us hanging out and we're having a good time and we could probably if open you need source more, our Trello. yeah we could do that if you need more like information or you want more on the show notes we're on slack we're in email we're like john and i will reply we actually reply crazy long it's just that public stuff it's super hard because i edit it in the weekend and i have to put it out and by the time i've edited i don't want to write show notes and so on and so forth so one day when we have sponsors maybe we'll do it but right now we don't and it's super nice so you don't have to listen to ads for squarespace every time we record so yeah book club recommendation this week all right 
Hmm, what one should I do? I read quite a bit. I got some. I got a good one. All right, go for it. But it's not super informative. Oh, well, then you give one and I'll give one and people can pick. Okay. I really, I just enjoyed this. I don't read super heaps of novels, but I really enjoyed this. I'm reading a book called The Three-Body Problem, which is, I don't know the author's name because the internet is broken right now. I'll put it in the show notes. It's a really great book because it's, I won't spoil anything, but it's written by a Chinese writer and it was trans uh, transcribed into English. And it's a sci-fi book. And the cool thing about it is it doesn't have any kind of like prescribed pre-notions or anything because it's, you know, it's from the Chinese market. So it's really a very, very different book. And it's actually looking at the near term future where humanity advanced to a point where it's stuck and like some stuff's going to happen. Really recommend it. I'm on to the second book. It's super addictive. And I love it because there's no like tropes in it. Whenever you read a book, there's always tropes or references to stuff, but this doesn't have any because it's translated and it's super well done. Highly recommend. So book club number one is The Three-Body Problem by a guy, I don't remember his name because the internet's down. Cool. I'll give you one. And what's yours? Uh, willful Blindness. Uh, why, we ignore, okay. uh, the ob- why We Ignore the Obvious at Our Peril. Uh, Margaret Heffernan. Very interesting book. Very good book. Um, read it recently and it's awesome. And another good one, just if you want another one for your list, I may have mentioned it before, um, is Triumph of the City by Edward Glazer. And that talks about how cities make society healthier and better and more resilient. Um Jane, channeling some Jane Jacobs. So, highly recommend listening nice. to Nice. Lots of book clubs this that. week. Yes. Super great. Oh, and then someone on Slack awesome. asked for a music recommendation from you. <laughs> from me? I don't have any music recommendations, but I'll link you to my SoundCloud. <laughs> I'm just SoundCloud forward slash John. Yeah, there you go. He's got the best username in the world. All right. Awesome. If you like the podcast, please leave a review. Or if you want to talk to us, just email hi at chargepodcast.com and we'll reply. For the rest nice to hang of out, you. John. Yes, H is H. H is H. <laughs> Hi at chargepodcast.com. <laughs> okay, bye, Owen. It's good to hang out, John. Later. Bye.